Last Sunday, Tyler led us into the New Testament letter to the Ephesians with a message from chapter 5, verse 8, we are children of the light. He reminded us that being children of the light, we are enabled to live in piety and purity and with purpose. Through the Apostle Paul, God sent that letter and message to the new followers of Jesus, which Paul called, whom Paul called the saints, all of them, in the city of Ephesus on the western coast of Turkey, approximately in the year 60 A.D. Now, I think I have a picture up here of one of the ruins of the city of Ephesus, okay? Kind of picture the country of Turkey. You know where that is? No? (laughs) Yeah. And on the western coast across the Aegean Sea from Greece uh, was this great port city of Ephesus. I believe I read that it was one of the four or five largest cities in the Roman Empire in the first century. Uh, I usually ask those who are listening when speaking about Ephesus, have any of you ever visited at the ruins of Ephesus? Good. All the rest of us ready to sign up. Let's go. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, This building is called the library. It evidently was the library. And I am totally amazed that there was a library in Ephesus. I wonder if they had librarians and if they said, shh, <laughs> just like we do. Whether they had the, is it the Dewey Decimal System? Is that the thing you, you kind of, yeah, I thought that's what they called, how they numbered all the books. Well, how did they organize? And what happened to all those books? There was a great library in Alexandria, Egypt, uh, in the first century, second century, on up until it was burned by fire in the, 6th or 7th century, losing lots of amazing ancient manuscripts. Well, next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday, and we will read again in Acts uh, about God's gift of the Spirit to all those 120 disciples of Jesus who were waiting there in Jerusalem as he instructed them to uh, for the promise of the Father. He kept saying, wait for the promise of the Father. And he had earlier said that he would give them the gift of his spirit. And we're going to observe that next Sunday. I think it's important for every Christian congregation to observe that every year. It is the birthday of the church, and it says something about how we began and perhaps gives us some clues about the kind of enthusiasm we should be continuing with. So uh, our sermon text today will be from Ephesians, but it will be a bridge to Acts 2. We're going to read from Ephesians 3, but it will be a bridge to Acts 2. And that will be in order to help us understand that amazing Pentecost gift of God and the remarkable gift that God desires to give to each of us. In order to understand better anything that God says to us, Jesus himself 
encouraged us to ask him for help. So let's pray. Lord, we are so deeply grateful for your words, words in print, for those who transmitted it from generation to generation, many at the cost of their lives. Lord, we thank you for the importance of your words to us. And we know that uh, we really need your help always to understand what you have caused to be written. It is so deep, Lord. We see deeper, newer, more wonderful things the more we read your word, even those we are very familiar with. So enlighten our minds and uh, warm our hearts too as you speak to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I will read our sermon text next, and it will be on the screen. It is from Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 19. One little paragraph, and I believe personally that this is the heart of the letter to the Ephesians, just about in the middle, and uh, it's an amazing paragraph. Let us listen to God's word for us this morning. Beginning in verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his Spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for his word. What is that reason that compelled Paul to write these words of prayer? He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Paul is saying, I pray this to the Father for you. I'm not just writing doctrine to you. I'm sharing with you what I have been praying, I am praying, I will keep praying for you, my brothers and sisters, in the church in Ephesus. What is that reason that compelled Paul to get on his knees time after time after time for them? Well, it is all that Paul had just written about in chapter 2. We're in chapter 3. In chapter 2, there are amazing passages, paragraphs, sentences, memorable to all of us. We frequently preach on Ephesians 2. It is one of the great uh, summaries of the gospel, the good news of Christ. You are familiar with these words that we find in in, uh, Ephesians 2. Paul wrote in there, 
You were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not, this, this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. He continues in chapter 2, in the second half of that chapter, to speak about the great division, historic division, between the Jews and the Gentiles. And he is speaking to the Gentile church at Ephesus. So he says to them, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints, God's, God's children, and also members of the household of God. He has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances that he created himself, that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace. Paul used the example of the long history of his own people, the Jews, who uh, separated themselves from the whole rest of the world, calling all of them Gentiles. Another definition of that, the word they used was ethnes, ethnicities, nations that's translated. The Jews separated themselves from all other nations and peoples because they believed that God had given his words to them and made them his people and People could come and join them if they went through a heavy process and it was all built around the law and keeping the law. And now Paul has said that God has, uh, has accomplished all that the law's demands in one person, in Jesus Christ, who died for our sins, has set us all free, and in doing so, has not only made peace with God for each of us, but peace between one and another person, between Jew and Greek, Jew and Gentile, between uh, one nation and another, one ethnicity and another. Chapter 2 of Ephesians is rich and powerful. And as Paul uh, summarizes all that, he breaks out in chapter 3, first was saying, for this reason I am a prisoner of, of the Lord, for your sake. And he comments on that, and then he says, for this reason again, I fall on my knees for you, and I pray these things. Both, uh, oh, I want to also say that this prayer in chapter 3 is the second of two prayers that Paul wrote to them and said he was praying for them. The other prayer is in chapter 1. And that prayer likewise follows the beautiful description of the gospel in the first half of chapter 1, and he follows that by how he is praying for them. Now he goes into chapter 2, goes into other depths, and he follows it again with prayer. These are beautiful prayers. Both prayers are great models 
for our own prayer. Uh, God has given us more prayers than simply the Lord's Prayer that we find in Matthew or in Luke. We, are, we, we love to repeat that. It's become part of the worship of the church around the world, but God has given us many other prayers in his words, and all of them are the Lord's prayers for us. We should all pray them individually. And a wonderful uh, exercise and discipline, a practice for any of us, is to know where those prayers are and pray them yourself as you lead into the specific prayers you are having for yourself and your family. I would say that in writing this and thinking of this passage and that it is a prayer we all should, mo- should be a model for us, I thought, wow, I have not done a very good job as a pastor. So I said, it's the fault of us ministers that we don't pray many of these other prayers together in worship. They should be good models for us. We should be hearing the scripture prayers beyond the Lord's prayer in the Gospels. Especially this second prayer of Paul for the saints in Ephesus. So what did Paul uh, urge us to pray for? What was he praying for us in this little paragraph? Uh, There are four amazing gifts of God that we can and should ask for for ourselves and for each other. Uh, I think I may not have mentioned that this paragraph has six verses, but they are for three sentences. The first sentence has two verses. Each of the three sentences is two verses of the six. So uh, that first verse Verse 14, uh, verse sins, 14 and 15, just started off with, uh, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. The rest of that, I think we, we did pray, that said, uh, excuse me, from whom every family in heaven on, and on earth takes its name. But then we go to the actual four elements of his prayer, and he begins the second sentence and the third sentence with the words, I pray that. So verses 16 and 17, forming the second sentence, we find two of the gifts God offers to give us. Let's listen to that again. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with the power of his spirit. That's number one. And that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. In your inner being, the darkness, the disorder, the disease, the destruction, the death of the world starts within the inner beings of human beings. It starts within people. It starts within famous people in history who caused 
great damage. It starts within the inner being of all people to participate in the kinds of trauma the world has known, continues to know. In broken hearts and empty hearts, in confused minds and deceived minds and deceptive minds, in wounded souls, hopeless souls, and lost souls, all of this damage in the world arises from. The only answer to the dreadful conditions of inner beings in the world from generation to generation is found in answer number one and answer number two. The only answer is first the power of the Spirit strengthening our inner being. And number two, Christ dwelling within our hearts. Now that is not Christ visiting us. It is not Christ back in history being a model for us. It is Christ alive today and dwelling within our hearts. It is a permanent relationship forming in the center of our lives. It is a new creation of us that will be eternal and immortal. Christ comes in to dwell within us, not to visit us. Christ desired, God desires that our hearts be his home, not a place to just visit when we're in trouble. Perhaps you remember when you first realized or first invited Christ to be in your heart and give your life to him. For some of us, it may have been a realization of our own bankruptcy, our own emptiness, our own trouble that we were unable to escape or to solve. And at some point in our lives, many of us have turned to him and for the first time turned over our lives to him and invited him in. For some of us, it began as children in our homes, in our churches, and it's been moment by step by step, moment by moment. But there is no difference. Christ is to dwell within us. The next sentence forms verse 17 and 18, and it contains the third and fourth parts of Paul's prayer and God's desire for us. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, comma, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. God gave Paul a vision of what God desired for us, the power or ability to comprehend, to understand, uh, to realize with each other 
Interesting, he just drops that in. He does not leave us doing this alone to comprehend, to understand, to be, have our minds enlightened. Our mind is involved here. That you may have the power to comprehend with the saints and to comprehend what? And he, he does this four-part thing. Scholars have debated what is, what is he referring to when he says the, the breadth the length, the height, and the depth. And he doesn't say of something then. He puts a comma. There's a comma. And he says, and know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. God gave Paul a vision of what God desired for us, the power or ability to comprehend that. And what the infinite dimensions are of the love of God in Christ. Uh, as I said, scholars have said, is, is this the four parts of the cross, the width, from this side to this side, to that to that? He is just trying to say it is immense and limitless, the great love of God for us. But he pauses and says, and to know. So the first verb was to comprehend, as if with the mind. The second one, he adds, and to know. Now that is to experience rather than just to know about. And there can be a difference. It is more than reading about and talking about the love of God, explaining the love of God to others or to yourself if you are not experiencing the love of God deep within your, your life, with all aspects of your life, to experience it rather than just to talk and read and dissect the love of God. Believe me, there are scholars who spent years reading, writing, talking, debating, and the love of God, experientially, has not been there. They're like every other human being. If some human beings are even trying to read or discuss about it at all, which many are not. Then the fourth part of this prayer. So that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I, I just stop there myself. In fact, I write the word, wow. Fairly inadequate word, I grant you. But we cannot read that without stopping and saying, what? What do you want for us, God? You are offering us the fullness of yourself to live within us? What more is that? What does that mean for us, the fullness of God? The word in Greek is pleroma. If that helps you, but it doesn't. <laughs> but it, it, it is a word that's been used before in the scriptures, but here it's used again that you may be filled, so that's the verb form of pleroma, with the fullness. There's the noun form of pleroma, 
that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. One thing I think is perhaps logical, that if you are filled, you individually are filled with all the fullness of God, it does not mean that there's no more God for anybody else. (laughs) Perhaps it is like taking uh, a bucket down to the beach in Galveston and filling up that bucket with the fullness of the Gulf of Mexico. (laughs) And somebody else can have the fullness, all of the elements of the Gulf of Mexico, all the clear, pure, good water that's down there on the beach. (laughs) Maybe we go further out for a good bucket. Somehow we wrestle with this. What does it mean for one person to be filled with all the fullness of God? And for all of us to be filled with the fullness of God. What is the fullness of God? I asked myself and wrote, do we pray for this? I'm not sure that appears in our prayer very often. Lord, help us know your fullness. Do we have any idea what Paul is talking about here, what God is trying to express through Paul? Do we even believe that God is offering it to me, to to you, to us? To be filled with the fullness of God. Paul stops there. I'll come back to that. Perhaps it will help us if we realize that all four parts of this prayer are saying the same thing. I really believe Paul stops, just dead stops, after the fullness of God, rather than explaining what he meant there further with another couple of sentences. I think that was summing up the first three parts of his prayer. I think what he had said in 1, 2, and 3, he's summing up with the fullness of God. It was, it was a summary. Uh, perhaps it will help us also if we recognize that all three persons of the Trinity are mentioned in just these three sentences. Starts off with, I bow my knees before the Father. And secondly, it says, be strengthened in our, in, by, by the power of the Holy Spirit in our inner being. And finally, it says, that Christ may dwell within you. So Father, Spirit, Son, and finally, the word God, filled with the fullness of God. I, I, I want to point out to you, as I have individually and occasionally. I'm not sure I've said it in a sermon. But God, the word God is to encase or include all three persons of the Trinity. The word and name God is not one person in the Trinity. It is incorrect to speak of God and Christ and the Holy Spirit. 
For the Spirit is God, the Son is God, the Father is God. Thus, he uses each of the persons and then sums them up with the word God. Note that when you are reading other people's comments or hearing that in worship, reading it, it is, it is a misconception of the Trinity to make the word God one part of the Trinity. I might get them emails on that. Remember in our call to worship, in the letter to the Colossians, I said it was chapter 1, there we are given that great description of Jesus which ended with all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. And then in John 1, the word was God and the word became flesh and lived among us full of grace and truth, full of grace and truth. If we look again in all the stories of Jesus in the four counts of the gospel, there we are seeing what the fullness of God looks like. Wrapped up in a person, we should not be confused about what the, what the meaning of the fullness of God is when we have had God the Son living among us physically and being observed day and night for three years by hundreds, thousands of people. The stories we have tell us what the fullness of God looks like. And that is what Paul is praying for us. In all of God's word to us, he gives us sweeping concepts uh, of his plans and purposes for us and his ways of us participating in that. Sweeping words of concept. And they are like the towering steel beams or concrete columns that form the skeletons of our great buildings in this modern era. They are skeletons. I, I searched in my computer, which is two editions from the one I had when I was here before, because I took pictures of this building being built. And I remember watching those guys put the steel up, sitting up there, putting rivets in and going at it until it, it was completed. And they were able to put that framework of the cupola up the top and put that cross on top. And it was a skeleton. You could look right through it. That's what some of the words that God uses are like that. They're concepts upon which we build the details. Put the walls up. Put the roof on the girders. Put windows in. Put doors in. Put carpets in. Put chairs in. Paint this this color. Paint the wood that color. Fill it with life. Have events here. And God gives us both words that are concepts and deep and hard to understand. And then he gives us concrete examples all through Scripture of those major themes and concepts of grace and mercy, fullness. It's traced out in the individual particular lives with one experience after another. And so too are we tracing that out in our lives. 
Um, Next week, we will read about one of the dramatic, actual experiences our first brothers and sisters in Christ had when they were filled with all the fullness of God on that 50th day after the resurrection of our Lord. It was a powerful day, a surprising day to them. It had surprising consequences to them. It echoes now throughout history and around the world. That day that God fully placed himself in the hearts and lives of each of those first disciples. And then it began to multiply. We are writing our stories of the actual experiences of our lives in Christ. How are we doing being filled with the fullness of God? How are you doing personally with being filled with the fullness of God? Amen. Amen.